But you, do, you have to be ready for it. He's coming. But he doesn't tell us when because he knows what kind of people we are. <laughs> so what do you, or why do you do what you do? Have you ever thought about the real core of your being, the real heart? Everything you do, you do because you want to. And that stems from the fact that everything you do, you want to do because you love what you do. You know, our church has been a tremendous example of people loving each other and expressing love for God in both worship walls and outside of this place. Love is evident in many respects and has, for the most part, been prevalent through the 40 years of ministry that Patty and I have enjoyed here. And I'm very grateful for that. Many years ago, uh, when we were just uh, getting going, Patty and I attended pastor's gatherings. Uh, Our denomination has uh, uh, annual gatherings, and often we'd hear these uh, horror stories of infighting in the churches and horrific treatment of the leaders. And it was so common that Patty and I actually wondered if we were doing something wrong because everybody here seemed to like us, (laughs) and we were getting along with everybody. And uh, and so we were the minority, and um, whenever we were asked if we had prayer needs, uh, our typical thing would be, well, that God would give us wisdom, give us help in leadership, um, rather than praying for emotional healing or the mending of relationships. It was, it's been a great, great four decades, and a lot of you have been here for most of that, and uh, I just want to say, praise God, Right? And then in Paul's day and in John's day, there were all these churches that were meeting in different places, and one of them was called Ephesus. And that's, I read the scripture, the letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? And when John wrote this revelation, Ephesus was a a bustling city. Anybody that's traveled over there, uh, it's now modern Turkey. If you've been there now, it's it's ruins. There's nothing left. And the silt from the river that flowed through there is piled up so much that even the ruins are six miles away from the ocean. But Ephesus was at one time a seaport. So you can imagine, you know, how in, in the last couple of thousand years, that's how much the silt has built up. And so it's not even close to the ocean. It was a, a crossroads of economic flow and religious influence. It housed the temple of Athena or Artemis, who was supposedly the goddess of love. And it's interesting that in this evil stronghold of worldly love or really lust, that Jesus would speak to the church and say, you have an issue with love. Isn't that kind of interesting? And so I want to break down the specifics of the letter, and we're going to go as far as we can today. I've already figured that I probably won't get through this sermon today or next week or the next, no. um, Anyway, next year. I mean, you know, we can gloss over Scripture or we can kind of dig into it, and sometimes we have to dig in a bit. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand. You remember the song we sang a while ago? He cannot take us out of his hand. It's an interesting thing because 
As we know, the seven stars represent the seven churches, and Jesus holds them in his right hand. But the word that is used for hold means that he has a firm grip. As the, as the church submits to his hold on them, we are very secure. You see, there's two kinds of words for that. One of them is, is I can hold this table in my hand. How much control do I have over it? If any of you have ever moved this thing, this glass top weighs about 80 pounds. Just, the, just that right there. And then the table on top of it. I can barely move it when it's together. I have to take the top off and then move the table and put the top back on. I don't really have a firm control over it. But if I take a pencil or a pen like this, you know, I've, I've, I've got a firm grasp on it and I've got a hold on it. And that's the kind of idea that Jesus has the churches in his grasp, a firm grasp. He holds the whole of it. And he is able to take care of his churches. And then it says, he who walks with the, in, with the golden lampstands, or walks among them. And I want you to notice that Jesus is not only within, but the word walk. He walks among us. He, you know, he calls us to follow. He, you know, he's, he's a moving target. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought about that? You know, he says to, you know, to the disciples, was he, when, as he was walking on the earth, he, he says, come, follow me. And he was on his way. And they either got up and followed him or they didn't. But he wasn't standing still. And it's the same for us. The church is, is not us sitting in a room like this, singing songs and listening to sermons and walking out only to forget what we've heard. But you and I are the church held tightly in his hand as we go to serve him while we're serving others. We're to be walking with him, and he's walking not only among us, but he's walking. And then he says, I know your toil, I know your deeds, your perseverance. There were believers in the church that had this quality. Paul wrote to the, the Roman church, and he said, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Prisca, per- Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. And in Corinth, Corinth, he speaks this about himself. He said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So how many of you know that when you walk the Christian walk, it, it takes a little effort? All right? takes effort. And Jesus commends this church. He says, I know your toil. I know your labor. I know your perseverance. And I want you to know that the word perseverance here is not the grim dread of reluctantly accepting hard things as something to hunker down until it passes by. Conversely, it is courageous gallantry, which accepts difficulties and even loss and turns them into victories. May God help those guys in Laos that have been arrested to have this kind of of courageous gallantry to face what they're facing. May we pray for them. The day is coming when we're going to be facing those kinds of things ourselves. We'd be foolish to think otherwise. We pray against it. We, we hope against it, but 
Paul said anyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus, he suffered through it. And he wasn't reluctantly hunkering down, but he faced his trials and pressures head on. And because he had his vision on something greater, he was able to suffer through the cross and rise from the dead and overcome it. And how we can overcome our, the death of, of vision in our lives or the, the death of things that have happened to us or uh, any number of things, but we can continue to move forward. It's often said that suffering colors life and where we take life head on in faith, faith in Christ. The colors that emerge are brilliant and vibrant and radiate his glory. And then he says, you cannot tolerate evil men. You test those who claim apostolic authority and you discover that they're phonies. And because of this, you remain steadfast and have not grown weary. Now, this is a very important note, folks. We're living in a day and age where the church is saying it doesn't really matter Come one, come all. But Ephesus was a very wicked place. Witchcraft and sorcery and idolatry, sexual immorality, violence were were so open and blatant you would swear you were in America. Spiritual warfare was open, immediate and constant as the gospel was winning the day because people were telling people about Jesus and they were coming to faith, just like Carolyn shared about those, the addicts. And someone brought them the message of deliverance through Jesus and they received it and they were delivered. Notice Satan doesn't give up his territory easily. And he's really trying to shut this thing down. So it was in Ephesus and so it is when we are bringing the gospel message and people are responding to Christ. There will be opposition. Acts chapter 19 tells the story of Paul and his ministry in Ephesus. And it's interesting how much Ephesus is is really very core to the entire New Testament. Because in Acts, Paul went there. He spent two years there. He wrote a letter to them called the Book of Ephesians. Here in Revelation, we have this... uh, a letter from Jesus through John to the church in Ephesus. The surrounding cities around Ephesus were hearing the gospel because as people were coming through and they were finding faith in Jesus and being delivered from demons and being healed of diseases, and they were taking the message to the surrounding cities, many of whom the rest of these letters in Revelation 2 and 3 are addressed to those. And there Paul did extraordinary miracles. Power encounters were frequent. Healing and exorcisms were regular occurrences. And then later Paul met with the elders of the church and he warned them that false prophets and teachers would arise. Now, we're going to deal with this more next week. But have you ever heard the phrase, if you can't beat them, join them? And that's what Satan does. If he can't take it head on, then he'll try to twist what you think and what you believe. 
But then Paul says, I have this against, or Paul, Jesus says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. And this is what I want you to think about today. What was Jesus talking about? Well, I think he's talking about two aspects of love. One, the great commandment tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, strength, right? And to do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And perhaps they had lost their love for the Lord. Maybe they were so into the activity that they were drifting from their first devotion. Anybody here ever wake up one day going, man, I've been serving the Lord, but I don't know where he went. Because he's on the move. And we keep saying, God, come bless me. Come bless me. And he's going, come join me. This is where the blessing is. Come do what I'm doing. I'll bless. That's what I'm blessing. And sometimes we can lose touch with the Lord because we're so into the project. We're so into our mission. We're so into our little kingdom work. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals. You are following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. You see, God said the same thing to the Israelites. I remember the days when you really loved me and you were looking for me and you were pursuing me. What happened to those days? You know, you don't see this nowadays, but some of you are going to identify with this. When I was in high school, our cars and pickups had bench seats, right? And you go out on a date, and the, the girl would sit next to you. You were, knew you were dating somebody because car, you know, the, the size of the battleship Enterprise would be going down the road with enough seating in two bench seats for 19 people. <laughs> but your girlfriend would be sitting right next to you, you know. And there's a story about this couple driving down the road. And the wife was sitting over on the right side and the husband was driving the car. And she said, you know, I, I just don't feel as close to you as I used to. And the husband said, who moved? And it's like that with the Lord, isn't it? He's, he's driving the car, but who moved? But the second aspect, perhaps, that they'd lost their love for one another. In their zeal to identify false teachers to put evil people out of the church, to make certain that Paul's warnings, that they, they had even grown suspicious of each other. In the early days, they had to stick together as a unit in combat. They loved each other and watched each other's back. They took care of each other's needs. But maybe heresy hunting killed their love. In their zeal to be right, they had let their hearts grow wrong. I have to stop there, but let's, let's listen to one verse. When Paul spoke to Timothy, who, by the way, was pastoring in Ephesus when this letter was written. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Refuse 
foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the love that this church has manifest over the years. And I thank you for the challenges that are ahead of us. But Lord God, one thing we ask, Lord God, that we would, we would love you. And that's our choice. But we ask, Lord, that you would reveal more and more of yourself to us. See the beauty of who you are. The glory of what you've done. The worthiness of proclaiming you to our friends and our neighbors and to our children and to even ourselves so that we do not grow weary and lose heart nor grow cold in being right but that we always have this fire of love so that truth can be proclaimed in the right spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.